Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brennan. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, no Shane, unfortunately, for this show, but we reached out to our buddy Trey Wallace. He'd been on, on the show a number of times. He's about to leave. I was actually trying to get Trey on for Friday's show, but he is heading to Atlanta on Thursday for the SEC championship. So it worked out. This is exactly what happened. I, I was trying to get Shane on the line. This is word for word what he sent me. This is the life of dealing with Cousin Shane, which we all love. But he said, you're reaching out. I just ate dinner, half a plate of cookies, and two glasses of milk. <laughs> and I knew what that meant. That meant no way in hell am I getting my ass off the couch to record a podcast with you. So, again, I had to reach out to Trey. He gave us a ton of time here, hit on a number of topics. This is, Again, we've had Trey a number of times. This is the best interview we've ever done with him, so a lot to discuss. People, are, I think, are really, really going to appreciate this. <laughs> he really delivered on this one. So let's just kick it right over to our interview with Trey Wallace from OutKick.com. All right, we're pleased to be joined by one of our favorites in the SEC footprint. Of course, Trey Wallace, you know him as a senior SEC reporter for OutKick, and he's host of the Trey Wallace Show. You got to check it out. New podcast he's got there. And don't forget to give Trey a follow at Trey Wallace underscore. Trey, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. Man, I'm waiting to see if the original Trey Wallace owner on Twitter, who lives in Birmingham, and I've tried to track down if he will give up that name or I can just get rid of that underscore. But he, he hasn't been active since like 2015. So it's been interesting trying to track that down. <laughs> yeah. No, hey, same thing with me. So I'm Michael W. Bratton on Twitter. Michael Bratton, he's inactive. So I can't even get a hold of him. But hey, it <laughs> it is what it is. It's a small problem to have. But let me ask you, you right. Trey, big news, of course, what everybody's talking about, aside from the big game here on Saturday, Hugh Freeze to Auburn, part of the old, uh, I like to call it the good old boy network of the SEC. We got a, a handful of coaches here that uh, don't matter, you know, they, they're all connected somehow to Nick Saban or, or this job or that job. So I don't know, what's, what's your thoughts? Hugh Freeze to Auburn, there's a lot to like, there's a lot not to like. How do you think it'll work out for uh, one of the, more interesting programs in the SEC. You know, I I wrote about I wrote about Hugh Freeze, and it was I don't know it was probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and the Auburn job. I'd, I'd heard that there was interest in the Auburn job, and this was dating back a while. Um, so I wrote about it, and I was like, look, it's time to give him a second chance at the Power Five level. Now, I I didn't know what that meant. I put. I put Auburn in there like Auburn should be a spot. Maybe he gets a look at something like that. And and I didn't know what I felt about which job would be right for him because there are so many jobs you can get back into without it having the pressure of somewhere like Auburn immediately. So once everything happened and they got to talking about Lane Kiffin, and at the same time, Auburn is sitting here having discussions with Hugh Freeze as well, because you always have to have a backup plan, period. 
So once the Lane Kiffin, you know, he made his choice of, okay, I'm going to stay at Ole Miss and the Hugh Freeze stuff got going again. I was like, okay, like this is like, if you're going to get back in the SEC, get back in the West, get back in it with a school that you know in Auburn. Um, I'm sure he spoke with his good buddy Gus Malzahn a lot about the Auburn situation. It is different than Oxford. Um, I think anybody that covers this conference or cover it nationally knows the difference between Auburn and Ole Miss. And I think that overall, it's a good spot for a coach like Hugh Freeze. Now, there are a lot of detractors, and I understand those people. I, I get it. Um, I understand where people might be freaked out about giving him an opportunity. Um, but then I try to separate it and think, okay, has he has he done enough goodwill to get back into the 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 big time college ranks? I think he I think he I think he has, you know, and, and I wrote about this like I said earlier, like everybody deserves a second chance. I get the stuff that he has done in the in the past, and I'm talking about the past past. I'm not talking about DMs that he sent in July or anything like that. Um so you know it was a tough decision for the folks down in Auburn. It was not a slam dunk, Michael. Like this was, you had boosters going back and forth on this. You had the president, John Cohen and Christopher Roberts going back and forth. And I think that it's a good move. I think that overall he will win at Auburn. I think that he will like Hugh Freeze is the type of coach. You probably would agree with me here. Hugh Freeze type of coach. You come in probably win eight games next year, nine games. You know, if he gets his quarterback, figure out some things on defense. Um, but overall, looking at it, if Auburn had to go hire a football coach and it wasn't Luke Fickle or Matt Rule or something like that, go get somebody that knows the Southeastern Conference. And they tried on the first one, struck out. And on the second one, they got it done. And, and by the way, they got it done costing Auburn probably about three and a half million dollars less than what it would have cost to get Lane Kiffin. So I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm back and forth on it. There's a couple of things. I want to see how he fills out his staff. You know, I think that's a big thing as well. You know, Trey, I'm, I'm glad you went there. Cause that was going to be my next question. Staffing for Hugh down there at Auburn. We already know Cadillac that, that, that was a, basically a move that he had to make to, ease anybody on the fence I think that uh, maybe thought he wasn't worthy of this job I mean he that was a day one slam dunk for him any idea that any names or anything like that or any uh, style of defense anything like that he did make reference to maybe he'll give up offensive play calling which I thought was interesting we'll see if he actually does that or not he's he's a hell of a play caller uh, any idea on your end uh, staffing wise for Auburn you know I, th I think the biggest thing when it comes to play calling and, and look, we, we know these coaches, you know, go look at Jimbo, for instance, go look at Blaine Kiffin. Like, you know, uh, both those coaches say that they don't, they, they don't give up play calling or do call plays, but you really, you really never know where that in-between line is of who's calling what. Um, I think with Hugh Freeze, I think it would benefit him to have somebody that is your main OC that can call the plays. If you want to interject, whatever, do it. That's fine. But this guy has to get this program off the ground. 
And him being focused solely on the offensive side of the football and play calling, because that comes with a lot of work, man. I mean, you're with the quarterbacks all the time in the offense. You're not with the defense a lot. Let's be honest. If you're a play caller, um, go look at Jimbo Fisher. I, I, I feel like going out and getting an OC would be the smart thing to do. Um, I don't quite know who that's going to be yet. I've heard some names. I don't feel comfortable kind of throwing them out because I, a lot of them are just uh, names that might not stick to the wall. Um, but if you look at a defense, if you look at a defense and what you're trying to to run, I'm going to throw a name out there, but you know everybody don't run with or anything like that. Go look at a defensive coordinator like Will Muschamp who's at Georgia right now, who's a co-DC, um, who, if we're being very honest with each other, I think we both know who runs that defense uh, at Georgia, and that's Kirby Smart. Um, even though him and Will have a great relationship, I, I think you have to go and look along those lines. Like, you can't – to me, you can't go out and go hire, like, Chris Kiffin. You know, that was a name that was thrown out there on the first day. I was like, Chris Kiffin, come on, man. I mean, I, I know you coached with him before – but and that's not D.C. coordinator in the SEC. You know, you have got to go out and spend $2 million on a coordinator that you know that's going to bring the biggest and the baddest defense possible on the recruiting trail, also on the field. And there are a couple names out there that I think fit that bill. To me, Will Muschamp would be a great hire if you could get him away from Georgia, if he's comfortable. Um, I think that... What they're going to do, I think, in the secondary is key for me. And, and here's something that, you know, is interesting with you, Freeze. He doesn't have a tree. Like, there's not, like, a Hugh Freeze tree out there. Like, you can go back and look what he's done at Ole Miss and see what he had on his staff there. Um, look back at, I guess, maybe Liberty if you want to. But to me, the 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 coordinators at Liberty aren't going to do the same darn thing at Auburn. We both know that. You've got to have SEC proudness um, to be able to get the job done, and then that's where Brian Harson screwed up too. So I I I I don't know who he's going to hire yet for that DC spot. Um, there are, I'll say this, and talking with somebody at Auburn while we're recording this. A lot of people have reached out, and I'm talking some decent-sized names have reached out to Hugh Freeze inquiring about that job, and they're not just doing that because they want to raise at their current school. They know and they know that coming with Hugh Freeze also resets their clock wherever they go. But if you look at Auburn and the defense that they ran this year, you can't do that with those type of players that you have on your roster right now. You know, you've got to you've got to play four man down. You've got to get after the quarterback. You can't be playing all this zone that Auburn wanted to run this year. Like that's what threw me off too is how they played their secondary. You have too much talent on that side of the ball, in my opinion. So I'm very interested to see who they bring in and how they bring in, and you know, and and I think a couple of coaches that are already there. You know, they 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 stick around. He's going to retain like three coaches, I think, all together. Probably some support staff. You know, people that have been around the program for a while. Um, I know Hugh Freeze has certainly reached out to somebody like Rodney Garner from Tennessee to gauge interest, but I don't feel like Rodney Garner's at that stage where he wants to go back to Auburn. You know, he's he's got daughters now at Tennessee, and he's comfortable, makes a good amount of money. 
Um, he, he's, he's doing something special there. Going back to Auburn, I don't think fits right now. Maybe in a couple of years, but not at the moment. So there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of interest over the next three to four days because you got to get a staff together, man. Transfer portal opens up on uh, December fifth. So get it going and, and keep your recruiting class. Now let me ask you this, Trey, and let me know. Maybe you don't feel comfortable talking about this, or or maybe maybe you're just unaware of it. But I've heard yeah. an added layer to all this: Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze. Not necessarily good buddies, let's say. And and we see Kiffin out here kind of trolling Hugh Freeze. And, you know, there was all this week long of, of reports saying Lane was going to take the Auburn job. I've heard <laughs> some of that was even coming from Hugh Freeze. I've heard some of that coming from John Cohen, maybe trying to force Kiffin into taking that job, just putting him in an awkward spot. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways you could go with this. You know, normally things like that you would think come from the agent. But I don't think Jimmy Sexton is trying to make things uncomfortable for Lane at Ole Miss. Certainly got him a, a massive deal there. So I don't think it's coming from the agent. But I don't know. Have you heard any of that? And just really, I mean, Hugh Freeze obviously used to coach at Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin's turned down Auburn. I mean, this is just putting more fire on an already stoked SEC West, isn't it? I think that I'll throw out a weird conspiracy theory that I've shared with some folks. And since it's over with now, I feel comfortable sharing it out in the public. I don't, I don't really care. I I kind of thought that it might have been actually Ole Miss was the one that, that leaked that report early last week and Keith Carter because of he was agitated that Lane Kiffin was negotiating, or let me rephrase that, Jimmy Sexton was negotiating on Lane's behalf with Auburn. And Lane Kiffin, you know, uh, do you believe somebody when they say they didn't have a phone call with somebody at another school? Come on, we're in we're in the coaching business in 2022. Um, so personally, the weird conspiracy theory to me was Ole Miss actually leaked that, that report from John Sokoloff that got everything going. And I don't want to say like forced the hand of Kiffin because it didn't, but it was almost like a hey, we know what's up. Like, when are we going to get this thing done? Um, because they did have an extension on his desk for like, I want to say it was like five, six days, but that's really not enough time. I mean, Jimmy Sexton's going back and forth with Keith Carter in the in the 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 Grove Collective, or I forgot what it's called, Ole Miss Collective, trying to get a deal done. So I don't blame Lane Kiffin for taking a while to sign a contract extension. He didn't want to do it until after the season was over, you know, and in conversations that I've had with him. It was, look, man, focused on the team. I'll sign a piece of paper. I'll go over all the details. Once that egg bowl is over with, I'll have some days that we can do this. Like, what is the big deal? And if you really think about it, when he came out on that, I guess it was last Monday night, whenever it was, I think it was on Monday night. Yeah, when he came out and quote tweeted and went after, he was telling the truth. Like in his eyes, he was tough because he had already told the team that, hey, look, after the Egg Bowl, I'm putting this to rest. It's all going to be over with, blah, blah, blah. Get through the Egg Bowl. Do I believe that? I don't know. Who, who, who knows who's telling the truth? But when he went after the reporter that night, in my opinion, that was that was laying very agitated that something like that got out there because also – 
they came out and said he was taking the Auburn job. Like, there's a real difference. In our line of business, there's a real difference. You have to draw on the line where you say, okay, reports are tying Lane Kiffin to the Auburn job. We don't know if he's going to take it or not, but a contract has been offered. Okay, that's one way. So you're saying, okay, Lane's got a decision to make. Does he really take the Auburn job? You know, seriously, does he want to think about taking it? There's a big difference when you come out and say, yeah, he's got a contract technically offer, even though it hasn't been offered yet. He's going to resign on Friday, and he's going to take the Auburn job. Like, holy crap. Like, that is a big difference between saying this coach is going to stay at Ole Miss and this coach is going to Auburn. That report said he was going to Auburn. He was resigning. First off, why the hell do you resign from a school anyways? You just take another job and you deal with a buyout. You don't resign from a school like that. He's not going to hold a press conference. Well, I'm resigning from Ole Miss. I want to thank everybody. No, that's not how it works. So that agitated him. And... I think he. I think we we both know Lane Kiffin. He, little outlandish on Twitter, um, and the pot shots that you see him, the subtle shots, pot shots, however you want to call it, take it, you know, at, at Hugh Freeze or whatnot. Well, Lane Kiffin's taken up for his school, the taken up for the school he just signed a contract with. So when Hugh Freeze decides he wants to take a shot in the press conference and he can say, Oh, it wasn't a shot or what he took a shot. He said, you're in a better spot now than you were. This school's better than the other school was 10 years ago. Whatever. You took a shot. So the head coach of the school, who's very active on social media, who's going to call it like he sees it and have fun with it any way that he can. He takes a shot back at you. So I, it's like, I don't blame Kiffin for doing that because Hugh freeze, I guess Hugh freeze forgot that Ole Miss, you know, hired him put him through everything was probably going to keep him with the NCAA violation stuff. If Hugh didn't go off the bat and they didn't find out the other stuff about him when it comes to his cell phone. So it's like, why take that shot? You didn't have to like, you know, just say you're happy to be where you're at. Thankful flow. Ole Miss and the time I was there, hate that things went wrong. So Lane Kiffin's taken up for his school. I don't blame him. I don't agree with everything Lane Kiffin does on, on social media. I've said that to Lane Kiffin. Um, but in the end, it doesn't matter. He's going to do what he wants to do. And, you know, he's not the one sliding into DMs, complaining to everybody about a tweet if they put one out there. He's just going to tell you how it is. He's going to quote tweet you. So it's just the games that go on, man. Um, I think that Ole Miss Auburn game, yeah, it was it was already a, a nice little rivalry. Next year, when Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin line up opposite sides of each other, boy, oh boy, you can put that like Kiffin Saban thing to the backside. Give me Hugh versus Lane next year. That's what I'm excited about. Let me ask you this, Dre. Who do you think should be more concerned? And I don't know if that's the right word, but just now that Hugh is at Auburn and, and they have a, yeah. I don't want to credible coach you know what i mean someone that we know will do everything in his power to make auburn a winner nick saban nick saban be more concerned or kirby smart and i throw in you know who knows how long they'll be playing them both annually but georgia has owned auburn i think it's like 12 out of 15 they've won and and auburn really needs to to recruit georgia 
you know, that's something that they've they've kind of gone away from with Kirby dominating not only Georgia, but the, the, really all of college football. So who should be more concerned with that hire, Kirby or Nick Saban? You know what? I, I think state of Alabama, and look, I grew up in that state. I know that state. I've covered football in that state. I've covered both schools. I think that, you know, Alabama has already kind of made their mark. They've already set themselves up. So, like, Saban's good when it comes to, like, Hugh Freeze. Like, Hugh Freeze might go take a a quarterback that maybe Nick Saban wanted, a wide receiver, a playmaker. But he's not, you know, he's, he's – unless he brings in a, a stud defensive recruiter, which he could – you're not really worried about him going out and getting the five-star defensive lineman or the five-star cornerback or anything like that. I think, I think Georgia is interesting because of the staff, but also because you, you nailed it right there. You know, Auburn is so close to that Georgia line. I mean, Columbus, Georgia is 35, 40 minutes away from Auburn. You know, you're right there. A lot of great football in Southwest Georgia. Um, I, I think that's where Auburn's going to try to get back in and try to stake a claim right there. Like, you, you know, Georgia runs a lot of the state in a sense, but college football dips into Georgia. Every team dips into Georgia. It's just like the state of Texas. But I think you're going to see Auburn try to get more involved in that state. And that's why I think you're going to see somebody with ties to the state of Georgia um, get either the you know linebacking job defensive line coordinator something like that you're going to see Hugh Hugh Freeze is smart man he's going to go hire a coach and knows how to recruit and if that means he has to sacrifice let's just say he has to sacrifice a linebacking coach position to go get a good recruiter over a really great linebacking coach he'll do that so I, I think that's where it gets interesting in the state of Georgia compared to Alabama just because there are some good players to come out of the state, but it's not like you're popping out five stars in every other county compared to Georgia, where you see a lot of that high four stars, five stars and whatnot. So I, I would say Kirby right now, just because I think Saban's got that thing locked down until he retires. Now we keep hearing this is going to be crazy next week, Trey, with the, when the portal officially opens on Monday, do you anticipate yeah. it's going to be crazy or do you, do you think that's overblown? No, I expect it to be nuts. I mean, I when I say nuts, I mean, so look at, go online. I would tell people this. If you, I've tried to explain it to people and how this is going to play out. Go online and just Twitter search transfer portal. Look at all the names that are already popping up now because the reporters are out there putting in, you know, so-and-so enters transfer portal. So that name is going to pop up. Go look at how many names are out there now. Um, you have to realize, too, a lot of people, that some of these schools are still conducting exit interviews with players. Um, you know, I, I talked to, to to Shane Beamer. He's going to be on the the podcast, my podcast coming up, and he was talking about, well, hey man, we're you know we're we're still conducting exit interviews, and that's going to be going on through the week. Um, but the biggest thing that is, that has stood out to me is. You're going to have some players that are going to finish up exams, do a couple bowl practices, and they're going to go home for a little break. That's when you're going to start having people get in the ears of players. 
Uh, I think that's where you start having these collectives from other schools get involved. They're already involved now. I, I talked to an assistant coach today who told me that, you know, one of his players has received six phone calls from six different collectives around the country trying to poach the player. And it didn't shock me because two things are going to go on Monday. First of all, if it's going to be the set day where everybody can enter the portal. So if you're an NCAA compliance officer or you're somebody like at the school, like a compliance, your day is screwed. Like you're not getting any vacation days for the next three weeks. You know, uh, you're either going to be dealing with players that are submitting paperwork to leave or you're going to be dealing with players that are going to come in. You're going to see a lot of people. Dan Mullen said this to me. He's also coming on the podcast. Didn't mean to plug that, but that whatever. He said this to me. Name drop. No, no. He said this to me. He said, it's going to be very interesting when you have all these players jump into the portal thinking that the grass is greener and then the coaches where they were at. So let's just say Josh Heupel. Somebody enters the trend. Jimmy Holiday, it was reported he's entering the transfer portal. Okay, Jimmy Holiday wants to go somewhere else. He gets into the portal, realizes, well, man, dang, I didn't have the offers that I thought I was going to get. Uh, can I come back? Well, no, we've already filled your spot. We had to go out and we had to go in the transfer portal and try to fill your spot. Like your, your spot's been taken. Now, I was told that's going to, you're going to see a lot of that. But you're also going to see, and this is the funny thing that, that Mullen said, is you're going to see these boosters start writing checks to keep current players on their roster. And the funny part about that is, is that it's all legal now. You know, you're not having to hide in the bushes anymore. You got to keep a player on a roster. Somebody's threatening to leave. They're saying, oh, well, man, you know what? I think I should get more NIL money. Look what I did for the team last year. Like, I think I deserve a little bit more money. Okay, well, if that if they want to keep them around, they're going to go to a booster, go to a collective, and they're going to say, okay, well, this is what we have to do to keep this kid around. And I know that sounds crazy to folks nowadays that are just your regular average Joes to go to work and you think, man, cheating in college football like it used to be in hotel parking lots and Waffle Houses and what – now it's just out in the open, you know, so you've, you've got these players that are going to go take money to go to these schools. And you know what? There's not a darn thing you can do about it because it's legal now under those NIL collectives. So long story to get to the original point, I think starting Monday, it, it is going to be chaotic and it's going to be wild, Michael, because look at how many names are already in the portal as me and you are having this conversation. And once that, and by the way, the, the people that are technically saying, well, I'm entering the transfer portal, they can't do that until Monday anyways. So just imagine the guys sitting around waiting, you know, they're going to put their names in. So I do think it's going to be crazy. I think this 45-day window is going to shock some people by, by the amount of names that go in. But also I think you're going to see like some package deals. I think you're going to see stuff like what happened at USC where you got a quarterback and you got a wide receiver. They're going to go to a school. Caleb Williams, you know, he went, what did USC do? They went and got Jordan Addison around the same time. 
you're going to see package deals for some of these big schools that have to go out and find these guys and, and get them in. And um, it's not going to be surprising. The money figures, you're going to see money figures online and on Twitter. All I will say is don't believe everything you read because a lot of it is not true. These collectives have to put out. Sometimes you see these numbers, Michael, and you know this, bro. Like They got to put out these numbers on social media to make themselves look good. Well, not really offering that much money. Like the perfect example is that John Ruiz down there in Miami. All he did was flaunt, flaunt, flaunt the money that he put out. Turns out, you know, some of the players didn't even end up coming. The money didn't really show up per se. It's just there's a lot that goes into it. And I I just think Monday it's going to be a bit of a headache for administrators around college campuses. Now, you're about to head down to Atlanta for the SEC Championship, Georgia and LSU, of course. I mean, do you anticipate this even being a ball game? I mean, the game's, to me, has lost so much luster with LSU going down. But, hell, Brian Kelly's pulled off some miracles already in Baton Rouge. Can they at least make it competitive in Atlanta? What, what do you think on that? Man, that's what stinks about what happened last Saturday night. You know, I was going to use another word, but I'll go with stinks. Uh <laughs> That, that, you know, good for A&M getting the win, you know, to close out the year against LSU. LSU just didn't play well uh, last Saturday. You know, it was it was said to me that somebody said, well, I promise you, once those players, LSU players got on that plane back to Baton Rouge, Brian Kelly got over the loudspeaker, intercom, told his players to sit up straight, start preparing if you'd have told us before the season that we had a shot to play for an SEC championship, look at what everybody would have said. They said they'd have called you crazy. LSU has a shot at an SEC championship in Brian Kelly's first year. So that's why you're going to see a different team on Saturday against Georgia, in my opinion. Now, is that going to be enough? No. I think Georgia is going to take care of business. I don't think they beat them by the spread, which is – in between 17 and 19 points. I just don't say, I think LSU, Harold Perkins, I, I think, you know, I think Jane Daniels is going to be healthy enough. I think when you, there are weaknesses in Georgia's defense. Now, there's not a lot, but there are weaknesses. If you can get Georgia across the middle, passing game wise, if you can get Jane Daniels outside the pocket, try to make some plays with his feet, like that's where Georgia can be susceptible to get beat down the field. So I I think that it's going to be a close game for three quarters. And when I say close, I'm talking 10 points, something like that, in my opinion. And then Georgia runs away with it at the end and maybe adds an extra touchdown. I I still don't think they get to that 19 points. I think it's something, maybe a 16-point, 17-point win. Um, But they get something late to kind of put it away. I, I You know, Georgia to me has been a team this year, and I don't know if you agree with me or not on this, but Georgia's been a team to me this year where the offense, there have been times where the offense has not had to be perfect or had to be on par every game. And there have been times where Georgia has to turn it on in the fourth quarter or the third quarter. Go back to that Missouri game where Georgia had to turn it on real late in the game and be like, all right, let's go. There's there's going to come a time in the next three games. In my opinion, Georgia's going to play three more games. Going to play the SEC title, semifinals, national championship. Sometime in that next three games, Georgia's going to get gat. 
if they don't turn it on for four quarters and if they say, oh, wait a minute, we, we got to get going here. Like, I just feel like there, there, there are teams that are good enough in the top five right now, top six if you're Alabama fans, don't want to piss you off out there, um, that can get Georgia if they let their guard down. I don't see that happening. I think they got too much to play. Let's don't forget, last year, uh, their goal was to go undefeated and win an SEC championship and an national championship. They came up short in Atlanta. They did not win that SEC championship. So I promise you Kirby Smart will have this team ready to go on Saturday and saying, we got to finish the job. We didn't win that title last year in Atlanta. Alabama beat us. Then we won the national championship. I want a damn SEC championship. So that's what's going to be their head. I think it's going to be a good game, three quarters. Fourth quarter, it gets a, a little bit out of control, a little bit. So I just... Man, to be honest, I just I hate it so much that it's lost its luster. That's what that's what kind of kills me a little bit because before heading into last Saturday night in College Station, I was like, all right, cool, man. LSU, Georgia, this one could get interesting. And I was like, oh man, LSU just just plays horrible and they get beat by Connor Wigman. And you're like, what just happened here? Um, so hopefully it's a good game. I think it'll be a, a decent crowd. I think LSU fans have backed off buying tickets for this game. I've, I've, I'm like a, I'm like a ticket freak kind of. Like I get on Ticketmaster, I want to see the prices and everything. Like tickets were starting off at like sixteen hundred bucks before that A and M game. They're down to about three hundred fifty bucks now. So I, I think you can see LSU fans have kind of backed off a little bit on on the buying the tickets thing. Let me ask you this, straight SEC East programs, which one do you think uh, has got the brightest future under their respective coach? Kentucky under Mark Stoops, South Carolina under Shane Beamer, or Florida under Billy Napier? Which which program has the you know will will rise the highest? You think under those coaches? Man, that's a um, Florida's about to lose Anthony Richardson, which I think is going to to hurt to the NFL uh, or the or the portal. I, I think because I think he should do both and just see what his stock is. I would too. I just I have a I have a feeling that and, and I'm not we're talking about future here, so down the road. We're not talking about just next year. We're talking about future down the road. Like Florida's gonna lose this 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 stud quarterback Anthony Richardson at some point in the next two years. They're gonna lose him. South Carolina's gonna lose Spencer Rattler, which Whatever he you know, he's done good. No offense to Spencer, he had two great games in the regular season. Kentucky's about to lose Will Levis, who some think is a top ten draft pick, and I can't figure out for the love of my life who they are watching when they say this kid is a top ten draft pick. I'm not I'm not hating because I think he is a hell of an athlete. He reminds me of Tim Tebow with a better arm, but I don't see him as a a top ten quarterback. I'm like you know what, but I'm not an NFL scout. So overall, I think South Carolina is looking really decent right now. I think that they have got the momentum. You remember last season, they got the six wins. They beat Auburn and Florida in the month of November. This year, they get the eight wins by beating Tennessee and Clemson to end the season. Now, I'm not saying everything transitions to the next year, but I'm saying that does help them in recruiting, helps them in the transfer portal. Um, help Shane Beamer go find another offensive coordinator. 
I, I, you know, Kentucky, it feels like they missed it this year, man. Like Tennessee was this year's Kentucky, meaning everybody before the season was talking, oh, well, Kentucky's going to fight for the SEC East and it's going to come down to that game against Georgia in November. Well, it really came down to Tennessee, you know, fighting Georgia for the SEC East where, you know, it fell off after that game, but it was Tennessee that took the place of Georgia. So Kentucky missed the boat, in my opinion. And I don't know – I don't see them going out there and winning 11 games next year. I don't see them going out there and winning 10 games next year. Eight games? Okay, maybe. It just feels like Kentucky's got a bigger climb ahead of them. So if we're looking at it all the way, I would say Billy Napier's got a hell of a lot of work to do to rebuild that roster. Um, He has to shore up his recruiting. It hasn't been the hottest – um, I, I, I like what they have done at certain spots. Don't get me wrong, but he's still a work in progress and that's okay. I think right now, the hottest name out of those three that you gave me is Shane Beamer because Mark Stoops is like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's Mark Stoops. When's he going to finally deliver Billy Napier? We're still waiting to see what Billy Napier is at Florida. Shane Beamer. We've seen him now for two seasons in the sec He's pulled off some nice wins. He's done some really good work in the transfer portal. So out of those three names, I'm going to go Shane Beamer as of right now. Now, how about the same question out of the West? LSU under Brian Kelly or Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher? Which program's got the the brightest future? I don't see – I don't know how Texas A&M recovers from this year. And I know they beat LSU to end the season. And And I say that, and hear me out when I say that. The expectations at Texas A&M are to be fighting for a playoff every year, not going, you know, not winning eight games and backdooring your way into the SEC championship game, kind of like LSU did this year in a, in a way. You know, they beat Alabama, all the credit in the world. They beat Alabama, won the games they were supposed to. But Texas A&M, expectations for that amount of money you're paying him – and the recruiting classes you're bringing in and the NIL money that you're throwing out, expectations are for you to be number five or four at the end of the season fighting for that last spot in the playoffs or playing in Atlanta for an SEC title. It's been five years, man. It'll be his sixth year next year. And he, the only time that he sniffed an SEC championship was the COVID year. So, you know, I, I just – I to me, it feels like Brian Kelly is going to be able to take advantage of recruiting in the state of Louisiana. He's going to put up a border, in my opinion. Um, he has those Midwest ties that I think are very intriguing to me when it comes to recruiting, and he's got himself a hell of a staff down there. And I think if you can get that much out of a quarterback like Jaden Daniels, who Clemson turned down, by the way. Uh, you know, Dabo, Dabo didn't feel like – Jaden Daniels was, you know, the the quarterback that could run his system. They thought DJ was. So, and 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 Brian Kelly walked into that with Jaden Daniels. But what I'm getting at, continue building that type of offense, being able to run like that, and do what you're doing in recruiting. I feel like the expectations are more for Brian Kelly right now. That can be higher because it'll be year six, man, under Jimbo. And they're about to lose a lot more to the transfer portal. 
And I just, in my mind, I look at expectations. And expectations are Texas A&M to fight for a playoff spot. And between me and you, I think we can be very honest in saying, we don't see Aggies fighting for a playoff spot next year. Like, like, let's not kid ourselves. This team is not all of a sudden going to miraculously go from, what, three or four wins to all of a sudden playing for a national championship. It ain't happening for Texas A&M next year. And maybe... You know, you can save this video, and if they do it next year, you can come back in and you can rub it in my face. But as we sit here right now, I think LSU has a a, a brighter future because of what's going on at the moment than Texas A&M does. And everything can change, but Brian Kelly's got things going in Baton Rouge at the moment. All right, last thing for you, Trey. Alabama currently ranked higher than Tennessee. Same record, head-to-head, yeah. resume's better. Who should be ranked higher, and why is it Tennessee? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you, you got me there at the end. Uh, um, so Tennessee's lost to South Carolina. I mean, that was a um, that was a train wreck, and that defense looked horrible and dug themselves into a hole that I don't know if Hendon Hook. I mean. There was a point in that game where it was like if Tennessee scores well it was it was one possession game. Um Hendon goes down, South Carolina continues to roll. So you look at the the margin of, of victory, and I get that. But you look at Alabama. For being honest with each other, man, Alabama's biggest win this year is against Mississippi State. Like people can say, Oh, it's against Texas. Texas is not that good, man. They're just not. Um, they had an opportunity to beat a TCU team. They couldn't get it done. Quinn Ewers, whatever. We can go on for days about Texas. Mississippi State, okay, they're Mississippi State's like Kentucky. Like they're they're plausible in the SEC. You know what I mean? So if you're saying Alabama, like their biggest wins against Mississippi State, where Tennessee goes on. I don't care what week it is in the season either, because remember that conversation we were having about Georgia and Oregon earlier in the year, who had the, who lost the worst between Tennessee and Oregon or whatnot. Same darn thing can be said about Alabama. I mean, you know, Tennessee goes on the road to Baton Rouge, beats the snot out of them. Uh, let's not forget they beat Florida at home, snapped the winning streak. I know what Florida's record is. I know they lost Florida state. I get that, but I'm just throwing out names. You beat Alabama in one of the best games of the season, in my opinion, if not the best game. Uh, maybe I'm biased because I was at the game. And you have a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who should be invited to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, he missed – technically, he missed one football game. One fo- He went down the South Carolina game. He didn't miss two games, three games. He missed one. He actually missed a quarter and a half, if we're being real honest with each other here. Um, I don't think he should win it. I don't think I think he should be fourth place. I think he should be invited. So you look at Tennessee right now and what they were able to do, and after that national narrative was somehow pushed out about there was turmoil in Tennessee's locker room. And look, was there some back and forth in the locker room between players? Yeah. Who cares? It happens every single day in college football locker rooms. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But when you look at it overall, everybody put Tennessee out to the pasture. Well, then they go to Vanderbilt. They just run the ball down Vanderbilt's throat. 
Well, I think it was, I don't even know what the final score was, over 49 points, whatever. And you look at Alabama, to me, Alabama was one play away from losing to Texas A&M, was a play away from losing to Ole Miss, uh, beat, you know, what, they got beat by LSU. Could have lost to Texas. Who lost, right, and and you're like, wait a minute, why is LSU, why, why is Alabama somehow just because they got Bryce Young somehow should be ahead of Tennessee? Here's another thing I'll throw at you too. We don't know if Bryce Young is going to play in a bowl game. The likelihood of Bryce Young playing in the Sugar Bowl or the Citrus Bowl or the Cotton or wherever they end up. And risking his NFL future is pretty slim. So if you really want to project ahead, well, you know, Tennessee's not going to have their starting quarterback. There's a likelihood that Alabama's not going to have Will Anderson, a bunch of players, a bunch of players playing in their bowl game. So why would you put Alabama in front of Tennessee when Tennessee beat Alabama? Like just I, I, throw the losses out the window if you want to. I don't care. That's fine. Same record, head-to-head, you got beat. Give them the benefit of the doubt in the situation. I know they don't have Hendon Hooker, but they still got a quarterback that can manage that offense. So, I I don't know. It's all semantics. It's all, you know, the the games. You know, the committee didn't really even have an answer for it. It was was weird how they answered the question about – why they should be in front. They pretty much just said, well, Tennessee lost to South Carolina by this much. This is why. It's like, well, wait a minute. Did you not watch that game in Knoxville? Did you not watch Hendon Hooker with 15 seconds left in the game, throw two passes, and then they were able to line up for a field goal to beat Alabama? It, it just it, it kind of blows me away a little bit, but I've come to expect that from this committee. And uh, I think Tennessee, uh, in my opinion, deserved to be number six which would put them in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl. Um, But I say that to say this, maybe at the end it works out for Tennessee and they get to go to the Orange Bowl and potentially play Clemson or North Carolina, which would be a tremendous matchup. I don't care who they're playing. It would be a great matchup to watch. I would – I'll end it with this. I would feel really bad if Tennessee did everything that they did this season – and had to go play in the damn Cotton Bowl against the winner of Central Florida and Tulane. Like, that's where I would feel very bad for Tennessee because there's a good chance that could happen if Ohio State doesn't go to the Rose Bowl. They could end up in the Cotton Bowl having to play a noon game against Central Florida and Tulane. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody cares to see that. The main game would be the Sugar Bowl or be the Orange Bowl. And, and you know, that's what six and seven is. Like, it might not matter for the playoffs, but six and seven is a big difference between playing in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas on a random day when other games are going on that are probably going to be better compared to playing in New Orleans or playing in Miami. So I think that's where the committee screwed it up. Uh, I think it was a horrible decision. Um, and I, and I'm, not just, I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm saying that if you line them both up, and you say, what happened during the season? Tennessee beat Alabama. What happened with a common opponent? Uh, well, Tennessee beat LSU, and they also beat him at their place. I just I, I don't know what I've missed 
up to this point of the season where the committee would miss that as well. No idea. All right, cannot thank you enough, Trey Wallace. Outstanding stuff, man. That was one of the best interviews we've ever had. Before you go, can you tell the audience where to find all your outstanding work? Yeah, man, I appreciate it, Mike. I always have a great time with you, dude. You, you, your podcast or something I listen to all the time. Um, I love it. I appreciate you having me on. You can follow me uh, at Trey Wallace underscore on Twitter. Follow all my work at outkick.com. Same thing for Instagram at Trey Wallace underscore. If you want to go see pictures of my dogs or whatever, I don't really report much on there, but if you want to go check out Instagram, go do that as well. And uh, yeah, the Trey Wallace podcast, uh, it's going to be Wednesdays to Thursdays uh, coming out, you know, starting last week. Uh, we had Braden Gall on, which you know, Michael. And, and this week, uh, we will have uh, Coach Dan Mullen and Coach Shane Beamer on the podcast. So, uh, looking forward to that. And always appreciate coming on with you, brother. Yeah. And don't check it out. I'll be on there soon enough. So, I appreciate you getting yes, me some, will. some openers there from the SEC. You get that. Look, that was the main reason. I mean, you're going to be coming on next week. So, the main reason is okay, let's. Let's let let's get the the co-main events out of the way before we get Michael on. That's that I'm always thinking ahead, brother. <laughs> Just want to say thanks again to Trey Wallace for joining the show. Can't wait to be on his new show. I mean, sounds like uh, you know he's getting some big name guests, name drop in there. Hell, I would be too if I could get Dan Mullen and Shane Beamer on the show. I've actually I've actually one time reached out to Beamer and he said he'd do it, and we just haven't been able to to get that worked out just yet. But Hey, our time's coming. We're not on Trey's level just yet, I guess, but we'll get there. But, you know, in all seriousness, really appreciate Trey joining the show, making for a great show without the old Tennessee homer on the line. He will be back. Tomorrow's show should be pretty loaded. We got uh, Georgia and LSU speaking in Atlanta. Greg Sankey will have his annual kind of like State of the Union in the SEC. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. And, of course, we'll be previewing and making our predictions for the SEC championship game. So that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you. Hey, yeah, I do want to give a shout-out, man. All these people giving us shout-outs on Spotify. I guess near the end of the year, Spotify lets everybody know where they've been wasting all their time listening to. And a lot of you told us we're in your top five. So really appreciate all the support. Again, if you haven't already, give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify or subscribe to YouTube. Just do any of those, but really all those would be great. And we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. We got all 14 SEC teams represented on the beer koozies. Just reach out to us at that secpodcast at gmail.com and we'll mail that to you for a review Can't, you're not going to find a better deal in podcasting so again that's going to do it for this episode of the show we'll catch you all in the next one